trying to see that's important to the passage of Scripture. Let me do a review real quick of the first two chapters that we've gone through, and then we'll dive into chapter number three this morning. Chapter number one, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king. And one of his friends has gone to Jerusalem, and he asks his friend, how is Jerusalem? He says, Jerusalem is oppressed. The remnant that are there, they're oppressed. They're afflicted. The city's not in good shape. Yeah, they might have started rebuilding the temple, and the temple's been built and things, but the walls aren't up. The city's being destroyed. And Nehemiah was concerned about the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem mattered to Nehemiah. Nehemiah never lived in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was important. And what do we see and what did we learn? we learning how to pray. We see that Nehemiah in chapter number one, it all starts with a concern about the problem. Nehemiah was concerned about the state of Jerusalem. He was concerned about the problem. We as the people of God should be able to look around today and look around our world and be concerned about what's going on around us. If you're not concerned today, you've got issues too. And even if you are concerned, you still have issues as well. But if you're not worried about our country and the road we're headed, if you're not worried about everything going on around us, there's a problem. There's a major problem. I think I read it yesterday. It was yesterday or Friday. Marks 60-something years since the Supreme Court stopped prayer in the Bible in public school. I think of one of our biggest problems was that decision right there. Take God out of society and you have what we have today. Our biggest problem today is our young people. The lawlessness that's happening around us today is a lot of our young people today. Why? Because of what they learn in our colleges, in our schools. And that's why it's so important. That's why a Christian school is very important for your kids. It is not smart to not have your kids in a Christian school in this day and age that we live. You say, my kids will be fine. Let's see when they turn to an adult how well they do. We live in a lawless society of these young people growing up. Why? They just don't get it. It's amazing. You could have a city like Seattle, and I'm, why am I getting political all of a sudden this morning? The people that are running a few small blocks in Seattle, they want no borders. They want no police but they're checking everyone that comes into their little part of town and they set up a border for people to cross over into. It makes no sense. The things that they don't want are the exact things that they're doing. It makes no sense. And this is what happens when you kick God out of a society, nothing makes sense. And we're seeing our own destruction before our own eyes because we kick God out. And you know the biggest problem with history? It's the fact that men don't learn from past history. I think the children of Israel kicked God out of things and look at what happened to them. And they were God's chosen people. America is not God's chosen land. God will judge a nation. And his hand will be hard on a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Our only hope today is to get God back in his rightful place. Nehemiah was concerned, so what did he do? He went to God. He is the only hope that we have. And I, I am not against churches that do certain things and the way they do it and everything else. That's between them and God. But I hear of churches now, they're having voter registration Sundays. 
I believe you need to vote. And I believe you need to vote based on biblical principles. Some people don't like hearing those words. Vote biblically. Not the person who's going to give you more money that you want. Vote biblically. That should be enough for a Christian to figure out. But I don't like certain people. Vote biblically. You should vote. You live in America, you have the right to vote. It's important, you should vote. But voting is not going to fix our problems. It's not. Because let's think about it. People blame Trump for everything going on right now. Trump's been in office three and a half years. So we're going to vote in a guy who's been in office for 40 plus years doing things in the country and he's going to help solve the problem that he's been a part of for 40 plus years. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense right there, does it? Or else the cities that are having the biggest issues with all these things going on, we'll talk about Minneapolis for a second. Minneapolis is one of the most liberal cities in our country. And they're having the biggest issues. So voting a liberal in place doesn't fix the problem. Voting a conservative in place doesn't fix the problem. Doesn't fix the problem either way. Because the problem is not if you're a Republican or Democrat, or if you're a socialist, or if you're whatever the case may be. The problem is this thing. That's the problem. The heart's desperately wicked above all things. There's only one who can change a heart. It's not a Republican or a Democrat, and thank God they can't. Jesus can change a heart. So what Minneapolis needs, they don't need a Republican or a Democrat there. They need Jesus. Seattle just needs Jesus. L.A. needs Jesus. Chino needs Jesus. America needs Jesus. That's the answer. And we see Nehemiah was concerned, and so he went to the one who could do some good and help. And as he went to God to get some help, he realized, I've got issues in my life I need to clean up. The closer you get to God, the more you see yourself and what you've got to fix in your life. Most Christians are comfortable in their sin because you ain't close to God. That's why. The closer you are to God, the more you realize, I've got to fix myself. I gotta, you know, Nehemiah went, and then you see he confessed his sin, his own sin. Sometimes we look, we're like, oh, our world's a mess. America's a, me- a mess. Yes, it is. But last time I checked, does God judge a nation based on the heathen of the land or based on his people? Last time I checked, he bases it on his people. Because, and I know the verse wasn't written for America, but if my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, if Christians in America would get right with God, God could fix things. Christians are our biggest problem. I'm one of the biggest problems we've got in America today. And when you're honest with yourself and admit that, you can go before God and take care of this. How's the, how's the sin in your life? Oh, I'm so tired of people doing all these things out in public. Well, what do you do in private to change it? When you live like the devil during the week, you're not helping. You're not helping the cause. I want things to change. If you really want things to change, you'll clean up your life first. But it's very easy for all of us. It's easy to look at someone else and be like, yeah, they need to clean up their life. They've got things they need to do. But me, I'm good. I'm better than so-and-so. We're not supposed to be looking at so-and-so. We're supposed to be looking at Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we're like, oh, yeah, I've got some work to do. I've got a long ways to go. He's concerned about a problem. He went to God. He confessed his sins. 
It built confidence in the promises of God as he confessed his sins. And then, what did he do? He committed to get busy and go to work. Last week, we were in chapter number two. Nehemiah, this job that he had to do, he had five tools that he needed. He had to wait on God. Four months from the time he prayed in chapter one till chapter number two, it took that long before God answered his prayers. And sometimes we want God just to answer right now. We want an answer right now from God. It takes time. He had to pray. He had to trust the Lord. The king wasn't happy that he wasn't happy in his presence, but he trusted the Lord anyways and went forward with it. He prayed. He fasted and prayed for four months. Even as he was before the king, he prayed a quick prayer, just seeking God, and then he planned. I think during that time of waiting, he planned for what God was going to have him do. And then we see he testified how God had delivered what God had done. And then he tackled five important tasks at the end of chapter number two. He got some rest after he got to Jerusalem. He rested for three days. And sometimes we just wear ourselves out. Rest is a good thing. Sleeping, refreshing yourself, it's good. You should do that. Take a break every once in a while. Don't always be so heavy and so... Just, you know, sometimes I saw someone the other day, I need a break from Facebook. I'm just about at that point too. Just take a little break. Take a break from the news. Take a break. Go on vacation. Get away with your family. Those are good things to do. Um, he replenishes resources. He went out at night and looked at the, and assessed the need. He recruited people to help. He instilled confidence in the people. And he handled the opposition, which leads us to chapter number three, the work begins. I'm going to give you two pre- uh, preliminary thoughts, and then we'll dive in and we'll get to the message this morning. The first one is this. Nehemiah, he was able to mobilize and empower 44 separate groups of people for this job. That's what it shows is that Nehemiah had an extraordinary gift of administration and organization. 44 different groups of people. That's a lot of people. Now, this is the thing. When you get a lot of people in one place doing something, there's a lot of different opinions that come. A lot of different ideas. And Nehemiah, God gave him a gift to bring all this together for this job to get done. The message this morning is not going to be bombastic. If you're expecting a bombastic message, maybe come back next week. I think next week will be a little bit more bombastic. We read those verses, and you kind of had to pay attention to get anything out of those verses. That's how the message is going to be this morning. And so we see this, and then it also not only revealed Nehemiah's extraordinary gift, but also showed the fact of how people working together can accomplish more than if one person does the job by themselves. 44 companies of people. Now, if you've read the book of Nehemiah, and I'm giving you something that I'll give you in several weeks from now, 52 days to rebuild the wall. That's an amazing accomplishment. In our day and age, it would be amazing to build a wall that fast. They didn't have all the tools that we have or all the stuff that we have, but it was a bunch of people doing the work together. They were able to accomplish much more than if Nehemiah did it by himself. And I want you to understand something. You'll see a phrase 28 times in chapter number 3. The phrase next to him, or after him, or after them. And this expression, it's used that many times. And basically it's letting you know that tons of people were involved in the work that needed to get done. And in the ministry, in the work that God's called us to do as a church, there needs to be many hands doing the work. 
more can be accomplished for God if more people are involved than one person trying to do it by themselves. Sometimes it's hard to find the right job. Some of you are doing exactly what you need to be doing, both in your career and in kingdom work. Others are struggling to find their niche and what they should be doing. I thought it might help you better this morning to hear about someone else's job history. Listen to this guy's story. My first job was working in an orange juice factory, but I got canned because I couldn't concentrate. Then I worked in the woods as a lumberjack, but I couldn't hack it, so they gave me the axe. After that, I tried to be a tailor, but I just wasn't suited for it, mainly because it was a so-so job. Next, I tried working in a muffler factory, but that was way too exhausting. Um, I worked, I wanted to be a barber, but I just couldn't cut it. I attempted to be a deli worker, but anyway, I sliced it, I just couldn't cut the mustard. I studied a long time to become a doctor, but I didn't have any patience. I became a professional fisherman, but discovered that I couldn't live on my net income. I managed to get a good job working for a pool maintenance company, but the work was just too draining. Next, I found an electrician interesting, but the job was shocking. And after many years of trying to find steady work, I finally got a job as a historian until I realized there was no future in it. And so that was to make up for all the non-jokes I haven't been able to tell you in a long time. And if you didn't laugh at those, you just don't have a sense of humor, and you need to find a sense of humor. And uh, those were a little dry, but that's okay, but that's what you get, so... We look at this passage of Scripture, and we see a gr- lot of great things happen. The walls being built. I want to give you some thoughts about that this morning, and we'll get into the message, and we'll be done here in just a little bit of time. How do you put 44 groups of people together, working on the same task? How do you get them to do it? Do you know what one of the hardest, hardest tasks in all the world to do? Is to get people to work well with other people. One of the things that I see that I've noticed in almost 10 years of ministry, some of the best workers can't work with others. And when you can't work with others, you're really useless. And you know it's true. How could 44 groups of people all work together? It all began with the purpose. They had a purpose. What was the purpose that they were doing? Well, you'll find it very interesting. You look back at verse number 1 of chapter number 3 here, and you'll see right away, look at verse number 1. Then Elisha the high priest rose up with his brother and the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. The first thing to be built on the wall was the sheep gate. Could anybody tell me what a sheep gate was for? For sheep, right? Brilliant. Man, you guys are so smart this morning. I, there was a fish gate. What did you do at the fish gate? Oh, I think you can figure that out. So we have a sheep gate. So why did they start with a sheep gate? The sheep gate was right near the temple. What was the sheep gate used for? They would bring the sheep from the fields in for the sacrifice. So what we see taking place and where it all began, it began by putting God first and bringing glory to God. 
You see, the purpose of what Nehemiah was about to do, they were not just working on some walls. They were not just going to piece this wall and build Jerusalem back. This was God's city. Think about Psalm 48, verse number 2. The Bible says, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whores is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. That's Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not beautiful at this time. Jerusalem was not the joy of the whole earth. Jerusalem was broken down. The walls were destroyed. Jerusalem was a mocking place. But this is God's city, Jerusalem. So where did it begin? It began with bringing glory to God. There was a purpose behind the work. And may I just tell you this morning, in those 44 groups of people, there were lots of opinions, lots of ideas, lots of things. I think the wall should be built with this type of mud. I think the wall should be built with this brick. I think the wall should be blue. I think the wall should be purple. You, I think there should be electricity in the wall. You know out of 44 groups of people, there were all sorts of opinions. But they did the work. Why? Because it wasn't about building the wall. It was about their purpose. And their purpose was to bring glory to God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. They had a purpose. How could they all get along when I know they disagreed? Because they had a common purpose. You look at a church that God puts together, you have many different people of many different backgrounds with many different ideas and many different things. But may I remind you, you think about the book of Acts. 3,000 were saved and baptized in one day. They were added to the church. And the Bible says they were all in one accord in one place. Does that mean all their opinions were the same? No, because all of our opinions are never going to be the same. Did that mean they agreed on every little thing? No. But what it meant is they had a common purpose in what they were doing. The people worked, the people built the wall because they had purpose. The purpose was not the physical wall. The purpose was bringing honor and glory to God. And may I remind you today, in our church and what our goals are, our purpose here, it's written on the wall right there. Our purpose is to exalt Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to edify, to build up the saints, to build up one another, and to evangelize the lost. That's our purpose. And may I remind you this morning, our goal is not to increase our offerings. Our goal is not to make this a big place for ourselves. Our goal is to exalt the Savior. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to edify and build up one another, and our purpose is to evangelize the lost. That's our purpose. If we're going to go forward for God and do what God's called us to do, may I remind you this morning, it's not going to be because of all of our opinions, because they're all going to be different. It's going to happen as we purpose together to do what God's called this church to do. That's how it works. The purpose was to bring God glory. That sheep gate, it was another way of Nehemiah letting the people know we must put God first. By beginning here, Nehemiah is establishing that their relationship with God was the most important place to start. What happens so often? We get focused on the work. 
We forget about why we're doing the work. We work in ministry, but we forget about God. If you forget about God, there's no point in doing the work of the ministry. If you're not doing it for the, for the glory of God, there's no point in doing it. The purpose of the work. And then I want to talk about the last little bit of time we got the people in the work. 52 days to build the wall. There are six principles I want to give you this morning that will help each of us work well with others. We need to learn to work with one another. And do you know how that happens? I think I gave you the best way. It's not, this is what happens. You know why sometimes we have a hard time working with other people? Because they don't do it the way I do it. And my way is better than their way. That's called pride. That's just straight up pride. There's no other way to look at it. That's called pride. Maybe they can't do it as well as you do. But do you know how much more you can get done when you have five people doing it instead of one? We got to learn to work with one another. I would say in our church of pastoring almost 10 years, one of the areas we need the most help in is learning to work with one another. I can't work with so-and-so. What's our purpose? To exalt the Savior. We're supposed to love one another. I think you can. Purpose is so important. Working well with others. Six points from this chapter that is a very kind of boring chapter if you're really talking about it. Number one, leaders must set the example. Where to begin in verse number one? The high priest. He was doing the work. Leaders must set the example. In the work, the leaders must set the example. I've worked, I've done many a job. Matthew, I know you work trucking, and I did that for a long time, and I thank God I don't have to do it anymore. You're one of those, you know, you're one of those supervisors that sometimes I'd love my supervisors on the dock, and sometimes I'd hate my supervisors on the dock. The supervisors that I loved were the ones that didn't mind getting a little dirty and getting the job done. And I'm sure that you, that that's the type of one you've been. I've, I think you've gone on a forklift when you shouldn't even had to get on a forklift. The ones that were the ones that I didn't like so much were the ones who wouldn't do anything. They sat in a little chair all day long and would do nothing. Leaders must set the example when it comes to work. That's what we see take place here with the wall. Can you tell me the high priest was probably the most qualified guy to build a wall? I don't think so. In fact, the clothes that he wore, I don't think those clothes, you know, were probably not the best clothes to be doing it. You know, did he, t- did he still have the, um, the ephod and all that stuff on as he was doing it? Had to go to a dry cleaners, get it all cleaned after he was done? Had the high priest ever picked up a hammer before or ever done any of that work before? He might not have. But working with others, it all begins with leadership. I've made it my goal, and I think that this would be the case, that in our church, I don't think anybody works harder than I do. Am I saying that bragging? I'm not bragging about it. But how can you expect anyone to do anything if leadership can't work? That's where it all begins. If you're in a church where the pastor is not working and setting the example, you shouldn't be there. If I stop doing that at some point, get a new pastor. The pastor can't be the leadership 
and show that, be an example to the flock. I've been in churches and I've been in places where the pastor says, you do this and I'll sit back and do nothing. That's not how it's supposed to be. If you want to work well with others, it begins with the leaders. Leaders must set the example. Whatever area it is. You want to work well with others? You're, you're a supervisor at your job? You set the example. Your workers will respect you and you'll get more done out of, more out of them if you set the example. We have work days around here. We have different things. I'm right out there, right with everybody else. In fact, some days I come home and my clothes are more dirty than what they should be because I decided to fix something, fixing a sprinkler the other day. What do I know about sprinklers? Not a whole lot. I know that they water if they're working right. And if they don't work right, there's something wrong. And you just figure it out or you get soaked by the thing spraying you in the face like I got soaked the other day. But leaders must set the example. Now it's interesting, if we look at the high priest here, if we go to the end of the book, Nehemiah chapter 13, he didn't finish very well. In chapter number 13, he partners with the enemy and creates some problems for Nehemiah. And, you know, some people say it's all about how you start. I believe it's how you finish. How you start, how you finish. Finishing's important. See, many people get in ministry, many pastors get in ministry, and I see them fall, and they don't finish. And I want when my race is done to be able to say, like, Paul, I finished my course. I kept the faith. And Christians in the room, you stay strong in the Lord. I know there are tough days out there, and I know sometimes it looks like it might be easier to quit. You don't give up. You finish the course that God's given you. Finish what you start for Him. Because He's going to finish it anyways. The Bible explains that to us. But you keep going, you keep moving for the Lord. But leaders must set the example. Number two. God uses all kinds of people. He uses all kinds. Do you know we read through this whole chapter and later on when you have some time, read through the whole chapter. Do you know there wasn't a bunch of construction workers? There wasn't 44 groups of construction workers. They didn't have their union jobs, their hard hats, no masonry, no carpenters, none of those things. You had high priests out there. You had pharmacy technicians, the apothecary it talks about. You had all sorts of people. God uses all kinds of people. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That God just isn't looking for this certain type of person. And you think about our world there, everything going on. Do you realize God doesn't care what color your skin is? He loves you just how you are. And you are precious in His sight. And when you've got a problem with someone based on their race or based on any ability that they have, do you realize you're telling God you did a bad job in making them? We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. And if you have a problem with someone based on their skin color, you have a problem with God because God made them. And that's no Christian. In Christianity, there is no room for prejudice, period. And never should be there. Ever. And it's sad that those issues still exist. And they should not. We need to love one another. I think that's what Jesus said. I don't think and I don't think Jesus did, wouldn't talk to someone based on their skin color or based on how sick they were. He touched the leper. We need to be more like Jesus. But God uses all types of people. Look at verse number 8. It says, Next unto him repaired Azael, the son of that guy of the goldsmiths. And next unto him repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. So you have a goldsmith 
and you have a pharmacy technician building the wall. God uses all types of people. The Lord didn't need just construction workers. He uses everyone. Do you know what God's looking for? He's not looking for the most talented. He's looking for someone who he can use. That's what he's looking for. The most talented most of the time don't want anything to do with him. God's looking for anyone. He's looking for the Samuels. Hear my Lord. He's looking for the Isaiahs. Who, who's going to go? I'll go. Hear my Lord. Send me. God uses all kinds of people. And praise God for that. Hey, in the wall, everyone had a spot. Hey, in the church, everyone has a spot. The church is a body the Bible talks about. And every part is important to the body. God uses all kinds of people, and praise God for that. He's not looking for the perfect ones, because if he was, he'd have nothing to work with. We see, number one, that leaders must set the example. Number two, God uses all kinds of people. Number three, are you ready? Some people will not work. In every job, get done, every tough task, some people just won't work. You can ask them, you can beg of them, you can do all these things, but some people just won't work. Man, there was a task at hand, a great concern, things need to be done, and so the leaders are saying the example, God used all types of people, but some people will not work. It's just how it is. That's how it is in church work as well. You can preach about our need to witness to the lost. You can preach about the need to help in these areas and all these different things, and that's what's going to happen. Leaders can set the example. God can use anyone, and some people won't do, still won't do it. And sometimes we get so consumed with those who won't do it that we've got to get them to do it, and some people just won't. So you say, well, what's the answer? You find more people that will. That doesn't mean you don't love the ones that don't work. You love them too. They're important too. But some people will not work. It's a fact. So what do you mean? Look at verse number five. And next unto them, the Tekanites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of their Lord. Now it's interesting, tonight we're on the book of Amos. He lived in the city of Tekoa. And the Tekoanites here, they're from his city. It's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. So it's kind of interesting that it ends up the same night. Amos and that, the same thing. And so, but it says here that they refused to work. They called in sick. Everyone else is busy working. Um, I'll let them work. I'm okay. The phrase there, it says, put not their necks to the work. That phrase kind of suggests the idea that it was more pride than anything keeping them from pitching in. You think about being stiff-necked. You think that idea? They wouldn't put their necks to the work of their Lord. Some people think other people can do that. Or, I've done my time. You've done your time. How do you know what your time is? Now, I mentioned this last service. Some people will not work. Some people that don't work, it's not because they don't want to, but it's because they physically can't. And I'm not talking about you right now. Because we were at last service, you look, and the last service has a lot of our mature folks in our church. And some of them, there's not a whole lot they can do. For them to get up and get dressed each day is a chore. And that's understandable. I'm not expecting them to carry the wheelbarrow and go do the work. 
but just do what you can. And sometimes I think about my mom or Russ. I mentioned Russ last service, and Russ is here. Sometimes I'll talk with him, and he always talks about how he used to be able to do so much, and he just wishes he could do more. But last service I asked the question, I'll ask again, how many of you, Russ ever calls you to just to check up on you? Would you raise your hand? Anybody in here? Okay, there's a few in this service. Last service, there was about 60% of those people he calls probably every week. So he couldn't go door knocking like he used to. But he calls people. He does what he can. And some of you might not be able to do the work. I'm not telling you that that's wrong. Because some of you might not be able to. There's situations that come up in life. There's things that happen where you might not be able to. That's not, because God knows your heart. I'm talking about right now, those who know there's work to do, but they want nothing to do with it. That's what I'm talking about right now. So make sure you understand that. And it just happens. You got to understand something. Some people will not work. And sometimes we get consumed with those that won't do it when we should be thankful for those who do work. Sometimes we, I get frustrated with those who don't come to church. And not right now. I understand people are getting back into the swing of things. But before that, I get frustrated where people think they're good Christians coming twice a month. Well, instead of getting frustrated with the twice-a-month Christians, why not I be thankful for the ones who are actually here? Because sometimes we get stuck on the ones that won't work, you know? If they got stuck on the ones that didn't work, do you realize there were 44 companies of people that did the work and the wall got done in 52 days? Maybe it was good those people weren't there. But once you work well with people, leaders set the example. We see God use all types of people, and some people will not work. Number four, are you ready? Some do more work. And thank God for that. Some people don't work, and then that means more, some other people have to make up for the work that they don't do. And we see that. And we look down, look with me in verse number um, 27. Remember, we just talking about the Tekanites in verse 5, look at verse number 27. It says, And after them the Tekanites repaired another piece over against the great wall tower that lieth out, even under the wall of Ophel. So what'd they do? So the Tekanites finished their wall. This is what some people like to do. Well, I did my job. See you later. That's not how the Tekanites were. They got done. They're like, Nehemiah, we did our wall. What else you got? What else can I do? And you know, there are people that are that way. Some people, they, you give them a the job, they do their job, and they'll do nothing above that job. If you've got to detail every little detail, and they'll do whatever you tell them within that job, but that's all they do, and they're out. But then there's some, you give them a small job, and then you come back, and everything under the sun is done. Some do more work. It happens. I love how those people, the Tekanites there, maybe they felt bad that their nobles weren't there to do the work, so they felt they would do more. I don't know what exactly but they went the extra mile. In verse number four, we read about a man, Mashalem, and there's other places you read about him throughout the chapter, and he just did more work. He kept moving to different places. Some do more work. When we talk about working well with others, it all begins with leadership. They set the example. That's where it should begin. We see that God uses all types of people. Some people will not work, and some people do more work which leads us to point number five. Some work with passion and some don't. You have a work day at church. Someone's going to show up like this. All right, what do you want? What do you want me to do? 
And then you'll get some people, I'm so excited to do this today. What can I do? There's a man here that was like that. Look with me at verse number 20. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall until the door of the house of Elisha the high priest. The word earnestly there means to burn or glow. It suggests that he had a lot of energy. Maybe he ate his Wheaties that morning. Maybe he drank an energy drink. Maybe he drank Joe's pink watermelon energy drink before he goes on walks. I don't know. But he was, he was, he had some passion what he was doing. And this is what you're going to, this is what you're going to see. Some people are not going to work at all. Some people are going to go above and beyond. Some people are going to do it with enthusiasm and passion. And some people are just going to get the job done. That's just how it goes. There's some principles here. Some work with passion. We think about it. I mentioned earlier, this Marquise is last Sunday with us. He's been very passionate in his work of God in this place. I've known him since, uh, well, in college I knew him. So that was, yeah, going on 10 years. I saw him as a college student. He had a passion for God back then. I think Jay was his youth pastor and picked him up and did different things with him. I think he would say that as a teenager, Marquise probably had some passion for God. He's always had it. I mean, right out of Bible college, he would drive to Yucca Valley, good two hours, not get paid very much, and drive there every weekend to minister in a church and a kids program and do all every week without fail. Moves to our church. Helps, think about this, the passion he's had in helping teenagers get to church and loving on them and being there for them. The passion he's had for the young adult group in our church. And a lot of them had no passion. Marquise was carrying any passion that there was. The passion of getting kids to ride a van to church, getting them to come to vacation Bible school. The passion of getting a baptistry ready late at night so that we could heat it up so it would be ready for Sunday morning. Being available any given moment to come and do the job when it needed to be done. It's passion. It teaches our kids every single week passion behind what he does. Some work with passion. Who's going to step up when he leaves this next week? There are a lot of jobs that got to be filled. And we should be very thankful to Marquise for all the time he's put in here. I remember when he, when he started getting serious dating. And, you know, I helped you find Sandy. I really did. I really did. I, I'm the one who suggested it and told him to go talk to her. Yeah, you, sh you owe me, big time. So, <laughs> I think 20% of your wedding gifts would be a great start. So, But as they started getting more serious, there's, you know, the church there has more money than we do. It's just they have your church, they have a big Christian school. And Chino, we're poor. I don't know what it is, but no, I don't. But I called the pastor there, and I know the pastor didn't want to lose Sandy. She's a great worker and a great asset to the ministry there. But I told him on the phone, you're not a harder worker than Marquise and a more passionate worker. And I said, and this isn't meant in a bad way. He's not the most talented in every area, 
Whatever he fails with talent, he makes up for in his passion and his work ethic. And he gets, he's faithful in everything. And I said, don't, I would never suggest you hire Marquise because you want to keep Sandy. I think you should think about hiring Marquise because even if you had no Sandy, Marquise is worth it. And he's a passionate worker. He's been that for all this time. In all honesty, who's going to step up with some passion to fill some of his shoes? I want a program. Keep that going. Getting kids to come to vacation Bible school. Getting teenagers rides to church. Getting the baptistry ready. A lot of areas. That's how it goes. Leaders should set the example. God uses all types of people. Some will never work. Some will do more work. Some work with passion. And number six, some work with families, as families. If you were to go through and read through here, you'll see the fact that five, five different families work together at the job of rebuilding the wall. Like one of them, you can look at verse number 12. It says, And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Helohesh, the ruler of half the part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. They worked as a family. They worked in their neighborhood. It's important. We need to be, we need to work with our, as a, with our families. Parents, the best example you can set for your kids is to have them in the house of God and doing the work. We talk about leadership sets the example. That's how it should be in the home. Mom and dad should be pulling the children to doing what's right, not the children pulling mom and dad to do what's right. I'm very thankful for the parents God gave me. They pushed us to do what was right. Dragged sometimes, but pushed most of the time. They were busy in the work. It might be why I love church so much today because of all the time we spend as a family doing the work. And one of the most, one of the, I loved as a kid, and I thought about this just the other day as I was preparing the message. My dad was the bus mechanic. And he had to fix all the buses and do all that stuff. And do you know who gets to be in charge of making sure our buses run and fix little things here or there? I do it. Got a good example of my dad. My mom taught Sunday school for over 20 years. Countless young people. You talk about how they remember the day they got saved. My mom was their teacher. It's good for me as a kid to have my parents show me ministry work. Do you know what's a good thing today? For my kids to see that the ministry work is good. And sometimes pastors' families, and I feel bad for pastors' kids. I've never been one, and I, th- I don't ever want to be a pastor's kid. But sometimes, but sometimes they get burned out. Sometimes they're looked at like they should be better in certain areas that they do, or they, all this different stuff. Or they see what ministry, how the parents portray it to be. I want my kids to see that the ministry is awesome. Wouldn't trade it for anything. We're privileged to be able to serve God. And so some principles about working well with others all from this chapter that's kind of, uh, kind of long and hard to say a bunch of names. Leaders set the example. 
<clears throat> God uses all types of people. Some don't work. Some do more work. Some do it with passion. And some work as families. But between all of them, they got the job done. And church, we have a job to do. We have a great God. And we got to move forward for God. We look, and three months ago, who would have thought the different things that have happened in three months and the craziness around us? Been pastoring here going on 10 years. The Lord's taken the church from four people to before this happened to right around 200 people. And then the past several weeks of being back together, we barely get to 100, 110. Are all the people that were here before going to come back? I don't know. But we, we got to understand something. God still wants to build a church. The purpose hasn't changed because there's a virus. The purpose hasn't changed because of rioting and looting. Purpose is still the purpose. We've got a church to build. Not for our sakes. In all honesty, our offerings are better now with less people than what they are with more people. And I don't understand that, and I'm not going to try and figure it out. But we have a purpose. I mentioned in the last service, and I should be done. Yeah, I'm over, but I'm ending here. But I mentioned last service, the beginning of August, we're really going to start pushing things hard. It's about six weeks of easing back into things. Because with everything, we're going to ease back in. We gotta, people still need to be witnessed to.